0: can offer the consciousness transforming podcast for exceptional 21st century living we've got a very interesting show today we're going to be speaking with matthew dix and we're going to talk about his latest book someday is today 22 simple actionable ways to propel your creative life. And folks, you know, we all need to propel that creative life because of what's going on in the world, okay? And he's going to tell you exactly how to do it. Um, The information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that's been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to... And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings on all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence, but they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed or possessed, I can hope. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, nesmoneychapman.com. And I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. My guest today, Matthew Dix, is the author of Someday Is Today and nine other books, a best-selling novelist, Nationally recognized storyteller and award winning elementary school teacher. He teaches storytelling and communications at universities, corporate workplaces, and community organizations. Dix has won multiple Moth Gl- Grand Slam story competitions and, together with his wife, created the organization Speak Up to help others share their stories. They also co-host the Speak Up Storytelling Podcast. He lives in Connecticut, and you can check him out online at MatthewDicks.com. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-D-I-C-K-S.com. Welcome, Matthew.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Hey, it's so great to have you here. Absolutely love the book. This book, folks, is about change and wonder and and, and living your life. And I truly appreciate it. But Matthew, I want to start off with um, something that everybody seems to have trouble with. And this is how do you share your story with people and then silence those derogatory negative messages you receive from everybody because they can't see and believe in your vision?
1: Oh, well, those are those terrible people I write about in my book. You know, <laughs> they're, they're miserable. And, you know, I think two things is one is that we as creative people have to understand that sometimes we're actually going to make terrible things and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, mm-hmm. every person who's making something is going to eventually and probably very often make something that's not ideal. And I think sometimes we allow perfectionism and the perception that Mm. everyone else is expecting perfection from us to hold us up from, um, from keeping us where we need to go. So we have to let go of the idea that we need to be perfect in this world and, uh, that people expect that from us. But then there are terrible people who will still try to bring us down for a great number of reasons. And I always think the two things you should do is first surround yourself with a team of people who will support you in an honest, but sort of enthusiastic way while also finding strategies to rid yourself of the people who are going to uh, create problems for you. And, you know, I offer a bunch of strategies in my book in terms of how to make those people sort of go away or at least be a lot quieter or a lot distant.
0: Okay, well, we'll talk about in a second. But I want to jump back to perfectionism. Because if you are a certain age, um, you were raised in the energy of perfectionism, you know, um, girls are supposed to be seen and not heard, they're supposed to be pretty pictures, Mm -hmm. boys are supposed to be a certain way. So how do we get And of course, that generation drilled it down to the next generation, the next and the next. So how do we get out of the clutches of perfectionism? Because when you see someone who's not running down that road of perfectionism, and they're truly their selves, we call them off or crazy or not, you know, <laughs> going along with the norm.
1: Right? Well, I think one of the things we can do is really just educate ourselves in terms of the creative journeys of other people. You know, one of my favorites is Richard Branson, you know, the owner of Virgin Galactic, he's sending mm-hmm. people to space, his very first business was selling parakeets. And that business failed because his parakeets overbred and he couldn't actually keep them alive. He had too many parakeets and not enough customers. And I love that story because he's now a person who is doing amazing things, but he's stumbled and failed so many times. And I think when we learn that it's normal to do those things, that that is a normal part of the creative process, I think we're going to be more likely to embrace it as well. I think that too often we see people at the top of the mountain and we assume that's where they began that they were sort mm-hmm. of you know plopped on the top of the mountain fully formed when quite often they were you know somewhere down where we are scrambling up as best we can and slipping back very often so educating yourself about the success of others and asking people who are you know where you want to be talk to me about that journey you'll quickly discover that it was not as clean as anyone thinks it was
0: well, you know, we, we we watch here in America we watch TV or we listen to one of those entertainment programs and the person appears successful. We always think it happens just overnight. They woke up, you know, one morning and the next morning they were boom, a bam, wham, success. How do we get out of that mode? Yeah, you
1: because know, when we watch those gratification. Yeah. When we watch those things again, you know, sort of like becoming more aware of what the reality of circumstances are. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, loving ourselves, certainly to a degree. Uh, I was just reading uh, two days ago about a reality television show and how unreal it is, how everything <laughs> is essentially scripted. And everyone mm-hmm. is asked to do three, th- do things three times in order to get it right. And then what we do is we watch the show and we assume that's how people are all the time. Or we go to Instagram and we look at someone's photo and we think, well, they're living the beautiful life when we don't, Remember, there's probably like 50 photos that were too horrible to ever post on Instagram. And we're looking at one of 50. We assume it's all like that. So, you know, again, becoming more aware of the realities of the world is gonna be helpful. But I also think we should just sort of really be kind to ourselves in ways that we don't um, often think about. I think one of the tragedies of the world is that we spend so much time thinking about our partners and spouses and children and parents and customers and clients and neighbors. And I think it's very rare for someone to actually spend some time thinking about themselves and, and, and how they are. I think as a storyteller, one of the gifts I have is I'm deeply curious about myself because I'm always looking for a new story. And Mm -hmm. I think storytellers tend to be sort of positively self-centered, meaning we at least afford ourselves a little bit of time where the only thing we think about is ourselves. And I think when we start doing that, We can start being a lot kinder to ourselves and start viewing our our journeys and and honoring it and celebrating our achievements instead of looking at our failures or wondering what's next
0: okay well in your book you say that and this really stuck out for me that eagles understand that they are not the center of the universe and then you're asking us to spend more time within ourselves or with ourselves so how does that stop us from thinking that we're the center of the universe?
1: <laughs> well, it's okay for us to be the center of our own universe. And that absolutely makes sense. We are the protagonist of our own story. You know, essentially everything revolves around us in our own lives. And that and that's a normal way to be. You know, you sort of, mm-hmm. you don't wake up in the morning you know, thinking about your boss. I hope, although sometimes I think maybe we do, uh, but we're always thinking about sort of our boss in relationship to ourselves. When I talk about the eagle being aware of the realities of the world, you know, one of the things I write about in my book is the spotlight effect, which is mm-hmm. this this principle where people genuinely believe that everyone is looking at them more often than they really are, and they do experiments where they'll they'll send a a student into a classroom wearing an outrageous outfit. And that student will sit in the middle of the class for the entire class. And then when class is over, they'll ask the student, how many people in that classroom noticed your outrageous outfit? And they'll assume everyone did. And then when Mm -hmm. they ask the students, it turns out that almost no one noticed it because everyone's worried about themselves. Actually, there's a great study that says, that shows how if you're having a good hair day and you go into Mm -hmm. the world, they follow people who have good hair days. And then they ask the people who encounter them, did you notice they were having a good hair day? The only person who ever knows you're having a good hair day is you. And yet it actually changes your disposition. If you're having a good hair day, you kind of feel great about yourself. And if you're Uh having a bad hair day, you kind of feel terrible about yourself. When in truth, you're the only one experiencing your hair in any significant way. The sooner we understand that, the sooner we can be kind to ourselves and stop worrying about what other people are saying to us.
0: Well, the one thing that I've learned or discovered about having good and bare, bad hair days is that, number one, not everybody has hair or they've had a head full of <laughs> hair and it has fallen out. And even though it might be a bad hair day for me, at least I got some. <laughs> so It's a good know. point. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's like an appreciation of what you have. Now, um in your book, you also talk about getting rid of people who suck up your time, or energy drainers, they'll just come by and you have a conversation with them. And it could be a somewhat positive conversation. But all of a sudden, like you're drained, and they want to stay there for hours to talk about whatever is on their mind. How do you tell them to go away? I mean, I've got away, <laughs> but I don't think that you would share that on this podcast.
1: <laughs> well, you know, direct communication is is not that bad of a thing. You know, I've I coach people and you know sometimes i've said listen that's going to be a difficult conversation for you and it's going to last about 10 minutes or you can spend the next 10 years in the presence of that person which would you choose you know 10 minute uh-huh. difficult conversation or 10 years of misery and i think weirdly so often people choose 10 years of misery which is you know probably a mistake now you can't get rid of everybody if it's your sister who's killing you. You can't get rid of your sister, probably. Um, But you know, I give people strategies, (laughs) you know, elimination is the one where you just get that person out of your life, you know, whether it's a direct conversation or you just stop, stop texting that person and slowly they get the message. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when people are sort of unkind or difficult in our lives, you know, I think the ideal thing to do is to forgive them for the things that they're doing to us. But I am not noble enough to forgive as often as I wish I could. Uh, but one of the things i try to do is rather than forgiveness i try to seek empathy which is to say Mm. i ask myself why they are the way they are so if i have a colleague who's really difficult with me but i know that she's in the midst of a failing marriage i know she's difficult to me for reasons that have nothing to do with me and as soon as i can sort of accept that fact her difficulty doesn't impact me as much anymore because i understand it's not about me. Like determining intent is really important. And when you determine that it's not about you and you can actually find empathy for the person and what they're going through, you don't actually have to forgive them. Like you don't forgive Mm -hmm. your colleague for being a pain in the butt, but you can at least understand why they're being that way. And then it doesn't sort of hit you so hard. I think that's a really good way to sort of quiet those negative people by understanding their suffering and uh, you're just experiencing a little bit of their suffering.
0: But how do you not get hung up with them coming to you on a daily basis or a weekly basis with that diatribe for an hour about what they're going through? And you just basically want to tell them to off. Well, (laughs) 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 when you can tell them
1: that, I think that actually is not a terrible thing. Otherwise, you know, I think you can really directly strategize how you're going to handle that situation. I had a colleague years ago who was losing every one of her lunch hours to another colleague who basically would just come in and drop all her problems at, at, you know, at my friend's feet. And um, she would okay. lose an hour a day just listening to this person whine and moan. And so her simple solution was to close the door to her classroom and lock it during lunch. <laughs> and a closed door turned out to be like a barrier that someone did not wanna go through. Like they would, I'm sure they went somewhere else to whine about their problems, but mm-hmm. the simplicity of the closed door really made a huge difference. I used to play golf with a guy who we really didn't enjoy because he would lose his temper on the golf course. We Mm -hmm. simply stopped calling him to play golf. And, you know, within six months, he was gone from our lives. You know, someone who we played with all the time, he just, he, I guess he got the message or he found other people to play with, whatever it was, it was simple as stop inviting him to play golf. So I think oftentimes there are some simple solutions. They're a little tricky and they're a little hard, but again, if you care about, if you care enough about your spirit and about yourself, you have to make those decisions.
0: Okay. Okay, so um, we're, we're sitting here still in this pandemic thing and some people are working, some not. People are looking for something new to do and they come up with this great idea. At least they think it's a great idea. They implement it and it falls on its face. Um, Talk to us about how to recover from falling on its face and what you can do if there's anything that you can do to kind of shore up what you're trying to create.
1: Well, if you've determined that it really is a failure, which happens, you know, Richard Branson's parakeet business, there was no saving it. If you determine Mm -hmm. it's a failure, what I always like to do first is ask myself what lessons I learned from that failure so that it's not a waste. I think quite often when something When something goes wrong and it's just not salvageable and it was probably a bad idea to begin with, there are many lessons to learn. And if you actually make a list, and I believe in making a physical honest to goodness on a piece of paper or on a computer list so that we can look at it, we can feel Mm -hmm. better that we haven't wasted our time. You know, I always tell people thinking about something doesn't count. You have to actually put it down in writing so that your eyes can see it so that you can remember it the next day. And once you've figured out those lessons, when you are ready to tackle your next creative endeavor, you have a set of lessons that you're going to at least not make those mistakes. You are bound to make new, terrible future mistakes, (laughs) but at least you've got those out of the way. I think we have to avoid feeling terrible about a failure. We have to find ways to get a little bit of positivity from what ended up being something fairly negative.
0: Yeah, well, I think that, too, if we get out there and we try something and doesn't work exactly like we envisioned it, like you said, it's a lesson. And we pick that up and and move it forward or we just like let it go and start again, but not to, you know, say, oh, what was me? I'm stupid. I'm this. I'm that. I'm the other because it didn't outplay the way your mind had envisioned it.
1: Yeah, it also makes for a good story. I always remind people that I have a phrase I say bad for you. Good for the story. Stories of Mm -hmm. missteps and failure are very entertaining to people and they're very useful. If you're like, if you're beginning your next creative project, or even if you're on an interview for a job, you know, some of the best stories you can tell are the times when you tried something, it didn't work out, but here's the things I learned from it. Employers love to hear those kinds of stories. So, you know, Mm -hmm. there is some advantage to like taking those failures and turning them into something that you can at least communicate in an informative, entertaining way in the future.
0: Yeah, if you inject some humor into it, everybody laughs and that moves you down the process a bit easier. So we've talked about, you know, not us being the center of the universe, our universe and people who suck up our time. Big time sucker, as far as I'm concerned, and that social media, how does <laughs> social media either help or hurt our productivity?
1: I think it mostly hurts us. (laughs) I think it mostly hurts us because people don't take a thoughtful and strategic way of using it. I think it sort of just invades their life. If you think about it, social media is really about a dozen years old. That's it, even though it feels like it's always been with us. And so that means about 12 years ago, none of us were using social media, which means that approximately six hours a day that a human being, an American at least, spends on social media right now was being used for something else. And what was that thing it was being used for? I suspect it's better than Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I think there were better things in our lives. So I think we have to be really um, honest with ourselves about what we're using social media for. If we're using mm-hmm. it to fill time that could be filled in better ways, I think that's a terrible mistake. If we're using it sort of because we are looking for something mindless and easy, I think that's a terrible mistake. You know, So for me, social media is uh, for Twitter, it's a very carefully curated news feed where I can click on it and get the news of the day and really nothing more. And Facebook really is a is a platform where I put things on Facebook for people to read, but I don't go onto Facebook to read everyone else's stuff. I, I don't Thank need you. to. I don't need <laughs> yeah. to doom scroll through everything. You know, social media can be just sort of a megaphone where you put things in the world. And then walk away and live a good life and let the people who are trapped in that social media universe, at least they will get your content while they're trapped there. So we have to be really strategic and I I don't think anyone um, is strategic enough. I think we have to really think about, we only have so many minutes in the day. Did you really want to scroll through Instagram and did it make you feel good when you were done?
0: You know, that's interesting that you bring up the feel good because so many people, especially my neighbors and we're all older, um, the ones that are on social media, they'll, you know, get together while they're walking or whatever and say, oh, geez, I was feeling good. And then I read this and now I'm down, you know, and I'm like, well, leave it alone. (laughs) But they can't seem to do that. It's like if they're not on social media, they don't seem to have an identity.
1: Yeah, it will. It's also constructed in a really devious way. I mean, you know. The people who have built these platforms understand how dopamine works in our brain. And so, you know, if if five people like what you wrote, it is a dopamine hit in your brain. It's approval from other human beings. And it does make you feel temporarily good, but it is a temporary fleeting thing that requires five more likes in order to get another, Mm -hmm. another dopamine hit. Uh, you know, there's oftentimes like a terrible thing that happened in the news. And my wife is pretty strategic about social media. She's not on it very much. And so I'll see Mm -hmm. some horrific thing happen and I won't tell her about it in hopes that she never sees it. And sometimes she doesn't. And I'm often jealous of her because I'm like, oh, she doesn't know about that shooting that took place today. Maybe she Mm -hmm. won't learn about it, you know, through, or maybe she'll learn about it three days after it's already sort of been processed and the news understands what happened rather than that terrible time when we don't quite know what's going on. Uh, but I do think that we often feel bad after we're, we've used social media, just ask yourself, you know, if you're about to open Instagram, check how you're feeling about yourself at that moment. And when you close Instagram, ask yourself, do I feel better about myself worse or the same? Um, if it's worse, definitely don't click on that thing so often.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, um, stuff out business only you know i just i when facebook first came out i just didn't understand the concept and my kids were trying to help me and um i finally got that then i'm like well why would anybody want to waste their time doing this you know it's just um too much for me but another thing that um people have difficulty with, especially um, today, and that is sleeping. They can't get to sleep. They can't stay asleep. They drug themselves to go to sleep. They medicate with alcohol to go to sleep and still wake up at 2 a.m. What are your thoughts on why this happens and what can we do to change that pattern?
1: Well, I don't think anyone, or I don't think a lot of people treat sleep sacredly uh, the way that our bodies are sort of designed to sleep. So, it's, it's a simple matter of doing what your body wants to do in order to sleep. Now, that being said, I do know some people have some genuine sleep problems, so this will not cure mm-hmm. everyone. But some simple things that you can begin to do that will totally transform the way you sleep. Uh, the first thing is go to bed and wake up at the same time every day, or just about the same time. Our bodies release chemicals, our brains release chemicals that stimulate sleep in us but if you don't go to sleep at the same time, your brain never knows when to release those chemicals. And so every night I go to bed sometime between 10, 30 and 11. And I will tell you that around 10 o'clock, my brain knows we're gonna be in bed within an hour Let's start releasing those chemicals and Mm -hmm. waking up in the morning. If you wake up at the same time every day, those same chemical, your brain will release different chemicals, but same kind of thing. And it'll wake you up without an alarm. I wake up without an alarm about 80% of the time, which is beautiful because most people are startled awake by a terrible sound. And then they make the mistake of hitting the snooze alarm, which is the worst thing you could ever do to yourself because it just activates a new sleep cycle. You start to enter a new sleep cycle, you're barely in it, and you're startled awake again. If you're waking up feeling bleary-eyed and you know, feeling like you need to stay in bed, it's probably because you're startling yourself awake, and it's probably because you're not waking up at the same time every day. That includes the weekend. like get up at the same Mm -hmm. time every single day, go to bed at the same time every day. Also, if you have a television in your bedroom and you're watching it while you're in bed, you're sabotaging all of your sleep. Or even if you're reading in bed or looking at your phone in bed, we have to train Mm -hmm. our brains and our bodies that this is a bed and it's used for sleeping. Once you start watching Mm -hmm. TV in bed, your brain doesn't know whether this is a couch or a bed anymore. Once you start reading in bed, Your brain doesn't know, is this a chair or a bed anymore? And again, you've sort of sabotaged all of those things your brain could be doing to put you to sleep. So you can't do anything in bed except sleep. Once you start doing something else, you've confused your body. And then the last thing I always tell people is to get yourself a white noise machine, uh, something that just puts out noise as you go to sleep. It serves as a trigger for your brain. Your Mm -hmm. brain hears that noise it goes, oh, this is sleep time. So it helps trigger your brain into sleep. But also, Tom, if you're waking up in the middle of the night, quite often we're waking up for reasons we're not quite sure. You know, maybe a police siren went off or your house creaked or your cat meowed. And a white noise machine can actually cover up a lot of the sounds that we don't realize are waking us up in the middle of the night. So if you get one of those, you're more likely to sleep through the night, which will be really helpful, too.
0: Well, I know one sound that nobody seems to be able to sleep through, and that's if you have a pet in the house and the pet gets sick and starts vomiting, instant wake up, <laughs> yes. instant well, wake up call.
1: I have two cats. I, I do have, have that problem oh, okay.
0: sometimes. You, so you understand. I do, <laughs> understand. yes.
1: Yeah, I also have two children who occasionally wake me up in the middle of the night. Those are those situations are unavoidable.
0: Yeah. And, but, you know, you know. speaking of that, when my kids were young, um, when they'd come to me in the middle of the night and wake me up, I would really get from them. What's on their heart? They needed to talk. So, parents, you might consider listening to your kid at 2 a.m. Put those two picks in the eyes to hold the eyelids open and listen to your child because that's when you get what's truly on their heart. It helped me immensely with parenting and knowing what to do. Um, so, Right now, with all the um, interesting energy coming on and all this political stuff that is going on, a lot of people are not feeling very optimistic. How can we start to create some optimism in the face of what we may consider um, as negative or we might even consider as positive but don't don't know how to move forward with it?
1: I guess I'll give you two things. The one is Mm -hmm. I'm a strong believer in incrementalism which is small changes repeated over time for a long period of time produce enormous and astounding results. I think so often in life, people want a big gulp of success or a magic pill. Mm -hmm. And what we have to start recognizing, we have to really attune ourselves to is, I made a small change and it made a small change. But if I pile up enough of those, something really meaningful might happen. I think we discount those small changes. And oftentimes we don't actually engage in them. We don't try this little thing. You know, we don't try getting a white noise machine because it just seems like a small thing. But if we pile up enough of them, we can really start producing results. The other mm-hmm. thing we do is just start to understand historically where we are in the world. Now, I am, I am of a certain political persuasion that thinks that, uh, you know, the world is precarious and I don't like... <laughs> I don't like what's happening Mm -hmm. right now. However, you know, and my wife is even you know, more sort of fraught than I am. She can't even bear to watch the news sometimes. But Mm -hmm. what I always tell her is to take a longer view on the world. You know, I say that right now things look pretty rotten in a lot of ways. But my father was drafted and fought in Vietnam in a time when Richard Nixon was being impeached. And we did not have nearly as many cures for the diseases we have today and there were more starving children in the world. So I try to remind her that as precarious as this situation seems to be in our country right now and as frightening as it might seem, there were Mm -hmm. really terrible times in the past and we have to acknowledge like how far we've come. We have so much further to go but we really have come a long way and I think it's easy to get trapped in the singular moment and think this is it, this is doomsday. But if we just look back a little bit, we realize how fortunate we are to be where we are in in many, many regards. Just look back into March of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. If we remember the fear of March of 2020 and how we thought, like some people thought we were gonna be in our homes for years, you know, Mm -hmm. and some people thought this disease was gonna wipe out, you know, tens of millions of Americans and hundreds of millions of people all over the world. And now we just look where we are today, which is, again, not perfect. We have a long way to go. But boy, do we feel differently than we did in March of 2020. When we take a historical look on things, I think it's easier to find optimism.
0: I think so, too. And, you know, even listening to music, um, I was listening to some old Marvin Gaye records that were recorded in the 70s. And the things that he sung about then are just as prevalent today. You know, it's just amazing how in some ways we've grown and other ways we haven't or have even gone backwards. Um, So it's about paying attention, folks. Now, I want to get over to you and what you do for others. You offer individual coaching, corporate coaching, social media messaging. Really? So tell us about those.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I end up in companies all the time or corporations and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm talking to some vice president of marketing and pretty soon they've sent me down to their social media messaging people and uh, we're talking about strategy for what we want to say on social media in terms of you know what the company wants to say and how often they want to say it and what the right tone is and are we telling a story so I do a lot of storytelling and essentially the word storytelling is a big umbrella for effective communication in a great number of ways. So that means helping people with keynotes and running through marketing plans and helping a mom tell better stories to her children because she wants her kids to listen to her a little more. I work with Mm -hmm. priests and ministers and rabbis. I just worked with some Santa Clauses recently, some mall Santas, because they realized if they could tell good stories to the kids on their lap while the picture was being taken, then they could have more kids on their lap in a given hour and make more money. So wherever you need to sort of send a message or communicate better or entertain through speech, those are the kinds of people I work with.
0: Okay. And are you taking on uh, individual coaching clients currently?
1: Uh, I am not this month only just because I'm doing many of these interviews for my new book. So I've Mm -hmm. sort of closed out July to um, existing clients only. But starting in March, uh, I'm sorry, March, starting in August, mm-hmm. I will um, if you go to my website, MatthewDix.com, you'll find opportunities to work with me. So I work with lots of different people. And oftentimes I'm shocked by the people who come and see me. I'm working with a wildlife photographer right now, one of the best in the country. Ooh, cool. And I never thought I'd be able to help this person. Like, how am I going to help a photographer? But it turns out there's a lot of storytelling in photography. It's really remarkable.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine Um you know, translating the pictures into um, words that we can truly have an emotional attachment to. Um, So Matthew, we're almost out of time and I really appreciate you being here today. Why don't you give us a pearl of wisdom for our audience? What do you feel is important for them to know?
1: What I want people to really think about is the idea that I think most people live their lives following the paths of least resistance. I think we tend to be watered down a mountain and we allow people and the forces of the world to sort of dictate our paths quite often. I don't think that people make enough decisions about the direction that they want to head in, both by identifying sort of a goal that they wanna seek and then identifying the steps along the way. I, I always say that it's better to make a bad decision than no decision at all. And I think what happens Mm -hmm. in most people's lives is they're making no decision at all about their lives. They're just allowing the events to be dictated for them. So take an inventory today, like sit down and ask yourself, where are you now? How did you Mm -hmm. get where you are? And are you happy where you are? And then do you know where you're going? And if you don't know the answer to any of those questions, spend more time thinking about yourself and where you are in this world. And I think you'll be better off for it.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much. I do appreciate you and your time today. I also appreciate the audience and their time. And folks, the, the book is an easy read. Um, a lot of information there that will allow you to think and then put into action what you're looking to accomplish in, you know, accomplish in the world. We always talk about, we wanna change the world. Well, that starts with self. So um, get the book and work on self and therefore you'll change the world. And I want you guys to remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of someday is today and take that action. Upon the blessings, light, and love to all, agape.